right, guys, we are back for a in live person edition of British Now Solutions, episode five, with a returning guest, Dr. Frank Bodner from the Nutrient Fix, is joining us to talk about collagen. And before we get started in this, if you can go ahead and please subscribe to the channel, we would really like that. It's going to help us get more views. It's going to help us get more people to follow people like Dr. Frank that are you know on the front lines treating patients, helping people get better on a daily basis. So if you can go ahead and like us on YouTube, like us on the podcast link channel, we would appreciate it. So Dr. Frank, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be back. Yep. Excited to talk in person, not yes. a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, this is way better. We're, ma we're maintaining six feet here. Yeah. Absolutely. We measured this out ahead of time so, <laughs> to the inch. You know, to the inch. There's no way there's any virus coming out of this mouth that will land on you. So you have nothing to be scared of. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's talk about collagen because... Collagen is near and dear to our hearts. We, I talk about collagen every single day to practitioners on a daily basis, and uh, I know you do the same. Can you just go about collagen as the industry, what people are seeing when they see some brands on the shelves at their supermarkets, yeah. and um, some things that people may not realize about collagen? Go ahead and introduce sure. yourself to you for, yeah. for some new listeners. So for those of you who aren't familiar, my name is Dr. Frank Bodner. I'm a chiropractor of a master's degree in nutrition. Um, as Dr. Ferguson said, I have a, um, a little, uh, social media thing, nutrition business called the nutrient fix. So yeah, definitely follow along and, you know, lots of good content and I'm just trying to keep up with you, but yeah, you know, collagen, you know, as a whole, it, you know, initially when the trend kind of increased, it was probably a few years ago, maybe three, four years ago, we saw an increase in sales with, you know, products like Dr. X, vital protein. These are all common products that we see all over Amazon, in every supermarket, every health food store. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, smaller brands that are shooting off now because everybody wants collagen. But the thing about collagen is I don't think anybody knows why they're taking it, except for the fancy label and the fact that you can throw it in your coffee and uh, the guy who does keto takes it. So you should take it as well. But I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to right. collagen. I think it's a great product. But I also think that a lot of people don't know the difference between a good product and a bad product too. So there, it is a growing trend. There's no doubt about it. It's not just a flash in the pan type trend. It's going to be here for years and years to come. And the reason why is that people are seeing results. But once again, I don't think they really know why they see results. Right. So, so yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. So people are taking collagen probably for beauty, right? That's yeah. probably aesthetic piece, hair, skin, nails, Absolutely. but also joint healing and Let's talk about where, where collagen is from, because you we we get collagen right from food sometimes, just yeah. in smaller amounts. But when we standardize it to what we get from supplements, we're getting a greater concentration. So why do people come get collagen, in your opinion, yeah. in the first place? Um, you know, so we can talk about sources real quick, and you know, from our diet, do we consume collagen? We do, absolutely. Um, so anytime you eat a piece of meat, anytime you eat a piece of chicken, especially if you keep the skin on that chicken you're gonna be breaking down collagen fibers in that skin or in that you know, piece of cartilage or intertwined in that muscle tissue that you consume, you're gonna be getting um, you know, pieces of collagen that your body will break down into shorter peptides and amino acids and then absorb. But in supplement form, of course, this is one of the, probably the most popular ways to consume it. It's already sort of pre-digested, if you will. And that there's a process involved in the, you know, the higher quality process is a multi-step process to get it to a smaller peptide size. And then, of course, the lower quality is going to be a larger 
uh, more of a whole protein-like um, piece of material when you actually ingest that. So um, yeah, you can get it from a variety of sources. A lot of us don't get collagen in our diet very often, and a lot of people don't know when they should be taking it or for what, like you said. So people, I, I think in the past, you know, the, the most marketed way has probably been in the beauty or, uh, you know, aesthetic segment. Right. It's mostly been marketed to women. So us as men, we're kind of like, our nails already look great. Our hair looks beautiful. <laughs> Why would I need collagen? I mean, look at my glowing skin. Right, so exactly. We don't need it. I mean, look at us. <laughs> but, uh, so it's, it's um, you know, I think from our perspective, from a, a guy's perspective, if you will, especially people that are active, um, you know, sports recovery and injury healing are huge. And, you know, if, if you're going to take it for a health benefit purpose, that's probably where I, I've seen the most benefit. And I don't know, you know, where, you know, you've seen the most benefit with the clinicians that you work with and uh, maybe even personally, but I know I've used it myself and that's probably where I've felt the best is on that recovery side of things. Right, sure. right. I, so I think women in particular, they want collagen because as we get older, we start to get the, the signs of aging, right? Fine lines, wrinkles. And I, I always get this age mixed up. Is it after the age of 30 or age of 25 that we start to lose our collagen stores? Yeah. So, you know, I've read multiple sources that say right around the age of 25, of course, there's going to be some genetic variants. So some people start, you know, aging or showing signs of aging sooner than other people. Um, and it all is kind of hereditary. So some people have that baby face into well into their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And those are the people that we're all jealous of because they just maintain that youthful look um, into their, you know, middle age years and, you know, maybe even beyond. But, um, you know, most of us right around age 25, we're going to start to see some of those facial lines, some of those wrinkles, some of those things that, you know, especially more in the female population, they don't appreciate at all. And they don't appreciate if you point that out to them either. So no, yeah, I would not recommend that. Um, Definitely you know, don't do that. Bring your wife a bottle of collagen, just say, it's just something you saw on the shelf that looked really cool and just leave it at that and just let her decide what she wants to use it for after that. Well, I was, I mean, I, cause I talk about this all day long. My wife was like, I need some of that. I was like, Oh, you do like, Oh, okay. Here, here you go. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question you. Like <laughs> go ahead and take this product. But, um, so yeah, so women, you know, they're losing collagen or we all are losing collagen at some degree after the age of 25 at some point, just depends on our genetics and that kind of feedback. But, what would be the main factor for someone trying to heal from an injury? Because that's where I take it. I take it for all my soft tissue injuries that I've sustained yep. throughout my 33 years of life. And a lot of people, I think, take that, but they don't understand why they're taking or what types of collagen actually are mitigating those changes. Yep. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So that's actually a really good question. And that kind of dives into some of the confusion that I see with collagen. So we have all these different types on the market. We have type one, we have type two. We have some products that have three, five, nine, 12, 13. So there's, you know, there's 28 different types of collagen proteins in our body and they all serve a slightly different function. The two, uh, you know, 90% of total collagen protein in the body are type one and type two. And the reason why that's so important. So when we think about injury and we think of types of collagen, you know, type one and type two are designed in a way, they're made in a way by our body to endure tensile stresses and forces so they don't tear apart and they don't shear apart. So we're, if we think about structures in our knee, we think about 
you know, meniscus, we think about cartilage, we think about ligaments, tendons, really strong things that resist force when you make a cut on the basketball court or football field at full speed, or you're, you know, going up for a rebound, or, you know, you're enduring, um, you know, hundreds of pounds of force on those connective tissues, and they're not ripping apart. So type one and type two are very, very strong, and they can resist forces in many different directions. So we talk about compressive forces, you know, straight down compression, compression, and our body's ability to not only absorb that compression, but then rebound and decompress. And then if you think about, you know, like a rubber band, right? Rubber band. Yeah. And that's, that's actually a great, great description of collagen. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we describe connective tissue as like a rubber band, the, the resilience of that tissue to absorb a force and then, um, you know, uh, actually repel and rebound from that force. And that's, that's kind of the definition of resilience. So, yep. Rubber band is great. Um, so, so type, so type one, yes. so hair, skin, nails, tendons, yep. ligaments, yep. right? Yep. But wh why do I always see products with type one and three frame? I already know the answer, but yeah. I want you to explain. So why, why do people do type one and three, but not types one and two? Yeah, so I would say the biggest reason why people do one and three is because it's more of a marketing claim than an actual scientific claim. So there is, there are product, and, and here's the thing that I want to say is there's, there hasn't been clinical studies on type three collagen, not to my knowledge. So if there are, please send those my way. I'd love to read them. But I haven't found any clinical studies done on type three collagen. And if, if we look at where type three collagen is, is located in our body. Uh, number one, it has a different structural formulation or um, uh, structural uh, design, if you will. So type one is very densely wound and connected. If we, if we looked at a tendon under a microscope, we would see no spaces between those collagen fibers. They're very tightly woven together. If we contrast that with type three fibers, it's, it's what's called a reticular fiber. So it's spaced out, it's almost like a net. There's you know, open gaps between fibers. The purpose of that, the purpose of type three in our body is not to absorb force. It's mm. not designed to absorb force and disperse that force. It will actually tear if it does, if it, if it encounters force. Wow, so is it more of a scar? type cartilage would, yep. you, would you say that so, so yep i mean it does more of a fibro cartilage more like i know we're born with hyaline yep and as we age or as we've injury our body will then lay down scar scar tissue right and yep. some of that scar tissue is my understanding more type three more fibro cartilinologist can't say that word but yeah. so it's more of a weaker collagen it's not as resilient if right. you do get injured it's not going to bounce back as easy as that one that more buoyant more resilient type right. hyaline cartilage which is type one Correct. Right. So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so reticular fiber, uh, you know, when there, when there is an injury in a ligament or a tendon and there's um, regeneration, so our body goes through, you know, acute injury inflammation, then it goes to subacute phase, which is regeneration and remodeling. If we took a look at that regeneration, kind of that phase two of healing that we all kind of ignore because there's not always pain associated with that. Um, what we find is that fibroblasts begin to fill in that damaged area with type three collagen and it loses that elasticity. Like you said, it doesn't have the same characteristics as that type one originally did. And that's just the way it goes. And that's the way that the body kind of welds that wounded area back together. So it's connected, 
but it's never going to have those physical characteristics and that rebound and that elasticity that it initially did, unfortunately. That makes sense. And I know from my experience when I was, you know, previously treating patients is it just seemed like the patients that were over 30 and uh, I actually witnessed, it was like a freak deal. I, we were playing basketball. I had a bunch of my buddies. We're all over 30 and people are snapping their Achilles, right? Because their college is now is not as resilient. We haven't stretched. We've been inactive. Then we go out into the court without stretching. And then what happens yep. that we cannot resist that force that's placed upon these tendons and then they tear. Yep. And, and then I'll, that, I mean, that's a great point too. So the older we get, and I think you're, you hit the nail on the head, kind of that 30 year old mark means that we should be spending more time warming up and uh, exposing that tissue to some suboptimal stress before we get into, you know, high intensity sport or activity. So I fear the same thing because I'm in that age range where if I don't warm up and my tendons maybe have been stressed or fatigued, I'm at high risk for jumping off of a box or coming down from a rebound and, you know, snapping things yes. real quick. So I'm very aware of that. And that's why I tend to shy away from a pickup basketball game, if at all possible. Sometimes you just got to get out there and show them what you can still do and <laughs> hit a few jumpers and, you know, try to dunk or whatever. But I, I you know, haven't right. dunked since high school. So right. I don't think that's going to happen for me at this stage. Right. Well, yeah, because we have kids, right? So we might just like, okay, I'll go play. I'll go do this. I'll go run, sprint. Then you're like, ooh, I feel a little tight. I feel a little sore. But I still try to play basketball a couple times a week. And I'm like the guy, like, I'm getting there late. Like, I'm, I'm getting there earlier but i'm warming up for at least 15 minutes yes. every time because i'm not going out there and tearing something i don't have time to rehab i don't want to go through that mess ever again so they're like hey come out i'm like no guys like i'm old i'm like 33 i gotta i gotta warm up and i just know the consequences i feel it and i don't want something drastic or scary to happen like i'm like i'm terrified of an achilles rupture just yeah. just terrified of it all same with me yeah but just put me down if that happens <laughs> seriously. seriously chop my leg off yep. and, uh, i'm done with it but one other one other thing i want to comment about type three so it's more you know more of a marketing claim and i say that you know with a little bit of grain of salt because there may be research that comes out in the future and we see if there is some clinical benefit right now nobody's done that research the other thing to note is that you know with type three and anything beyond that we really just, you know, we see that those, those types of connective tissues, those, those types of collagens in the body are really designed to connect other tissues together. And so if we look at where type three is, we have some type three behind our eye. We have type three that connects our inner organs and helps space out other tissues and align things. Uh, we have type three that surrounds type one and connects our tendons to our fascia. But those, you know, once again, the, the design is, it's, reticular like it's not made to endure high amount of stress and so you know if we look at you know do we really need to supplement with those types you know due to lack of research and where they're located in the body i i just haven't seen any you know once again clinical benefit i haven't seen a research or reasons why beyond just the more is better reasoning and we just we really don't know if more is better we know that type one and type two has clinical benefit because there's research to back that up. There's human research, there's animal research, there's cell research, uh, but type three, there are none of those things that have been done yet. So, right. so maybe someone should uh, do that. Sure, well, doesn't type one and three kind of go together because they both kind of stimulate some of the same areas, but just type three to a lesser extent. And, um, but also when I go to the grocery store and I see some other brands, I'm not gonna say names, but I'll see marketing claims for types one, they usually skip two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
right? And, uh, and I, tell, I tell doctors this all the time, like, well, do you know if your patients need more, you know, collagen elasticity around their duodenum? Do you know if they need more <laughs> collagen elasticity around this organ or the, around this, you know? Maybe they took a seminar and they figured out that they actually do. So maybe if they did, maybe you need to be educated. Right. I don't think it's wrong to take. No. I don't think, I don't think taking three is, is bad, right. Right. but yeah, but I think there's a lot, in a lot of the supplements, there's a lot of more marketing than the science. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of the great area in our industry is that you have to do your homework. You have to understand, you know, what physiologically, what's the purpose of that, you know, that, that product or the potential of that. And then just think through the application a little bit too, because it's easy to be kind of lulled into the new shiny penny effect, you know, anything that's new on the market or trendy on the market sometimes gets our focus or our attention and we just pick it up and we run with it, but we don't really study it. We don't really take a look at the research and dive into it. And that's really our job as clinicians is to offer our patients the best and we owe it to them if they're going to be coming to us for the best product to really do our homework and make sure that we're offering the best product, not just the trendiest, newest, shiny penny because that's going to come and go. And then they're going to kind of scratch their head and say, now, wait a second. Why now? Why should I take this one instead of that one? Is this just something that now I can go pick up at Costco? And you know, why did I have to pay more for it in your office? Type right. of thing? So yeah, right. Exactly. And so I, I've had lots of injuries, right? I've been taking collagen for a long time. And so I already knew about type two, but I don't think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of the companies, supplement companies out there leave it out because it's so expensive. Yeah. Is that, is that a true statement? Yeah, I mean, especially when you get into the higher quality. So if you think about- um, we'll, we'll talk about what type two, type two collagen oh, right, does right. as well. Yeah, yeah, I forget people already know what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> Most people don't. So type two, type two collagen, um, you know, a little bit different structure than type one. So it is more dense than, you know, three and all the numbers beyond that. Um, but from a configuration standpoint, if you look at where it's located in the body, primarily located in cartilage, so once again, the purpose of cartilage is to compress and decompress. And it does that largely through the release of water and the reabsorption of water. So just like a sponge, if we compress a sponge, all the water comes out and then it has the ability to absorb all that water back in and sort of expand and create space again. So of course, cartilage lines our synovial joints and one of the most common joints that we you know, deal with is uh, joints of the knees and the hips. And then, you know, a lot of times in the spine too. So we have synovial right. joints that those facet joints are all synovial joints in our spine. So they need the ability to compress and decompress. And anytime we lose uh, that spacing in that joint, we start to get wear and tear and biomechanical dysfunction. So uh, we need type two and we need it to be healthy. Um, but, if, you know, once again, if we look at what type two does in the cartilage itself, um, kind of the word picture, visual picture, I like to put in people's head. I, I go back to cement, which isn't very soft, but I like to think of cartilage as cement that's just been laid over that metal rebar. So if you think about rebar sticking out of that block of right. cement, right. Uh, cartilage is similar to that. So the, the concrete itself are the surrounding factors that compress and decompress. They, they're glycosaminoglycans, hyaluronic acid, glucosamine, chondroitin, and those bars, those, those steel rods going through that cement, those are those type two collagen fibers. So the type two collagen fibers in cartilage hold all those glycosaminoglycans together. It's sort of like the wire, if you will, going through the sponge. 
that holds that sponge together so it can, you know, if you try to tear that sponge apart, it won't rip apart, right? right. It's, it's gonna allow it to stay together and still give us that structural ability to compress and decompress. I like that analogy. And so you mentioned something and um, I'm just gonna talk about it again for people listening is joints need movement. They need motion. Motion gives them actually lotion. Motion is lotion, right? That's how they get nutrients because a lot of these areas are avascular. And um, so we have to stimulate them. So I think another problem with collagen is people take it and they don't move. So they just sit on the couch saying, I'm just taking this pill, I'm taking this collagen to help my joints. When I tell them, like, look, if you want it to work, stimulate it. Get some motion to these areas. So the nutrients get pumped in and out of the cells. They get through the synovial fluid. They pump out, you know, glycine, like gags or glycose aminoglycans. Yep. And yep. Uh, I think a lot of people get that wrong. Or they get it confused because you've got to stimulate these areas that are avascular. Otherwise, the nutrients don't get there. Absolutely. So, yeah. And if you look at, you know, studies that have been done on type 1 collagen. So these are you know, the higher quality ingredients that have actually been researched, what we see is that, you know, for best results, best results with uh, physical therapy rehab, and, you know, you can apply this to Achilles tendon, uh, epicondylitis patients, so any type of golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, uh, supraspinatus, you know, tendon injury type, patellar injury type, even plantar fascia, uh, those types of injuries, um, they're all gonna go through a similar healing type process but um, you know, it's gonna be type one collagen fibers that need to be laid down, but you're exactly right. So we need to consume that 45 minutes before that rehab session. And that way, that collagen, those collagen peptides are in our bloodstream. And then when we start doing movement, we start doing those exercises or exercising, those nutrients are in our body and they're pumped to those areas and delivered to those areas. So you're exactly right. If we don't have motion, we get no lotion, we get more friction um we don't get delivery of nutrients so it's uh you know every chiropractor every physical therapist orthopedic surgeon they all this is you know repeat information that they've heard a million times but people that don't encounter those things day in and day out especially patients they have no idea they just see people dump it in their coffee whenever and uh you know it's it's the trendy thing to do because they saw it on instagram but right it's very there, trendy yep. there is there is a best practice for uh when to take your collagen to get a clinical benefit out of that for sure right exactly and i'm just going to mention just something you mentioned um so like a type one they are they're doing studies on physical therapy patients or clinics and they're either giving the patients eccentric exercise like the negative portion of the therapy or they're giving them collagen or they gave them exercise with the collagen. And of course we can conclude that the patients who had the therapy, the physical therapy with the collagen had the best results yep. in the long term. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean there's like you said, there's uh there's studies on Achilles tendon patients, there's studies on patellar tendonitis patients, uh medial lateral epicondylitis patients. So once again, we look at the structure that's being rehabbed, very similar in nature, different parts of the body, but largely all type one collagen type fibers right for sure and i know from my experience i was treating a lot of athletes i did a lot of soft tissue injuries in my past experience and the injuries that i hated not i shouldn't say hated the injuries that took the longest to treat were those those areas lateral epicondylitis tennis elbow plantar fasciitis achilles tendinopathy um and you think about these like did i say achilles achilles and plantar fasciitis like those are some yeah. other ones Yep. So those are collagen disorders. And as we get past 30, as mainly like well, upper 30s, 40-year-olds that are still active, they're getting these 
collagen pace because their collagen's weakening. They're, they have less than what they started with. But a lot of it was diet. I, now, that, now that I realized through the research, okay, so I was treating them, but I had no foundation to go off because I was doing cell turnover, like getting some new cells to stimulate you know, some new synthesis, but they had no backbone. Like they weren't just getting the nutrients that their cells desperately needed. So if I had to go back, I'd say, hey, look, I'm going to do like the study said, I'm going to give you the collagen. Yeah. Then we're going to treat you. And we're also going to you know, maintain probably anti-inflammatory lifestyle, diet, et cetera. Yeah. So, well, and I think you bring up a really good point. So you know, timing makes a difference, but then also phase of treatment, phase of care. So right. I know as chiropractors, myself included, the more I've learned, the more I would absolutely adapt my treatment protocol. So you know, my approach, if someone came in with tendonitis, of course, soft tissue work, you know, rehab exercises, but I would be focused on anti-inflammatory nutritional products and you know maybe not as much diet as now that i would preach but if we think about phases of of uh healing right so initially the first three to ten days the body is going through that inflammatory phase of healing you know next is going to be going through that subacute which is mostly tissue regeneration so those white blood cells are now you know largely removed from the area they did their job they stimulated inflammatory factors they've um cleaned everything out to make sure nothing was infected. They started laying down, um, you know, cytokines and everything to ensure that, you know, the full inflammatory process kind of ran its cycle. But, you know, after that, anti-inflammatory nutrition really doesn't speed up that healing process because the body is in tissue regeneration phase. Now, excess inflammation, of course, can slow that tissue, right. that process of regeneration. But what do we offer to support that nutritionally? mainly nothing right and so that's the gap that a lot of us are missing and i think that's the opportunity with a high quality collagen product that can really help people complete that phase of healing that i think we we focus so much on the physical part of treatment but then we forget about the nutritional aspect kind of that biochemical aspect and we're just kind of like oh we'll let the body run its course but let's let's think about tendinosis no active inflammation but a weak tendon you know, how does that happen? How does the body end up with, you know, sort of a spongy weekend tendon that's ready to rupture, but there's no signs of inflammation, no, maybe no pain. Uh, it's because there was an incomplete healing process that took place. And so that's, you know, maybe more my theory than something that's actually been published of how that developed. But we know that it's sort of a silent degradation of that soft tissue. And maybe if we approached it with some subacute support, some, uh, you know, tissue regeneration support, maybe we would start to see a difference uh, in that long-term treatment outcome. You know, I'm talking six, 12, 18 months down the road instead of maybe that three-week window to three-month window, and then we kind of never see that patient again. Right. We need to think a few more steps ahead, and I think we can improve our protocols by doing that for sure. Exactly, because a lot of those patients I would treat, they would get better. They would quit doing their exercises, quit doing the rehab. Six months down the road, come back, same injury. Yep. They're like, I didn't really do anything, though. I just, you know, I was just, you know, I don't know, playing tennis with my friends, there's one time it, it flared back up. I'm like, well, yeah. you, didn't you didn't supplement it with the right nutrients. You didn't do the therapies. Your tendons are degrading. If, they're, if you're not growing, you know, what's, what's going on? And then yeah. you're and getting weaker. So I think a big, poor, you know, a, big, a big piece of responsibility, I should say, because a lot of times as clinicians, we want to say, oh, it's the, it's the patient's fault. We had a bad patient, bad patient. But we need to take a little bit of ownership for that. We need to say, what can I do better as a clinician? Well, we can do a better job of educating our patients on 
what that next phase of healing looks like, educating them on a realistic time frame of what the what how long is that actually going to take for the body to completely heal that tissue. Sometimes we know if we roll an ankle, it could take 18 months to fully heal those ligaments that have been damaged. It, it right. takes a long time. And so I think providing an example like that to the patient, sometimes it wakes them up a little bit and they're like, oh, this isn't just I'm off my crutches and I'm feeling better and now I'm out the door type of thing. And it's not that you have to keep them coming back on a weekly basis for 18 months, but there should be some checkpoints along the way. You know, maybe it's as simple as a, a Zoom call follow-up and you want to see how their balance is on that injured ankle or, you know, whatever, whatever piece of the body that you want to focus on. But, you know, check the function of that. Do a quick check-in and you're going to get better patient compliance they're going to be happier because no other clinician is doing that for them. Right. And they're going to be happy that you're thinking long-term about that too. And you actually want to prevent that injury from reoccurring. So overall, it's going to provide a better patient experience, but they're also going to see that you care about the long-term outcome with that. And uh, of course, they're going to sing your praises as a result of that too. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. So, so yeah. <laughs> hindsight's always 2020 on it. Man, I would do a few, like I did, I did pretty good, but I would do a few things differently. Yes. Nutrition supplementation is probably one missing yep. piece of that. So um, there's a couple. I want to go over misconceptions here in a second. I get I get lots of questions that I want to go, go over with you, but um, let's talk about some like, exciting studies with, with collagen. Like um, maybe we talk about the vitamin C study where they had the vitamin C and collagen. I think it was type one, right? It was type one, and they did the jump rope. Okay. They did Thirty minutes later, and then they noticed like the increases in tenocytes. Are you familiar with that study? Um, I don't know. If I, I don't throw you under the bus. All of the, the, <laughs> the details exactly, but um, you know, I mean, when it when we, when it comes to vitamin C, and we think about how collagen is produced in the body, and we think about uh, so when you say tenocytes, you know, for people that aren't familiar, those are fibroblasts that are native to the tendon tissue, and it's just another term. So we have chondrocytes, we have ten tenocytes, we have, you know, basically where that tissue is located. That's going to be the name of that fibroblast, but um, vitamin C plays a key role. So if we're deficient in vitamin C, we get a disease that's called scurvy. And the reason why uh, scurvy can be deadly and cause disease is because our connective tissue literally starts falling apart. So we get leakage of blood vessels. So our blood vessels are lined with type one collagen fibers. Um, we get teeth that start to fall out and degrade. We have type one collagen fibers in our bone and our gums. So we need, we need uh, type 1 collagen and vitamin C to support those things. But vitamin C is a cofactor for an enzyme called hydroxylase. And this is an enzyme that attaches um, hydroxyl groups to the, um, the fibers of the, of the uh, collagen and allows them to form that triple helix. So if we had no hydroxyl groups, we would have no bonding and no triple helix formation inside that cell. And then when it, when it would be excreted outside the cell and assembled uh, all those fibers together, it wouldn't happen. They'd all be single strands and they'd be, you know, extracellular matrix tissue that would de get degraded and absorbed somewhere right. else, but it would never be assembled into a collagen fiber and it could never be laid down by that tenocyte at all. So, but yeah, no, speak to the, the results that they saw in those uh, the patients that jump rope. If you remember, I mean, that's uh, that just kind of proves the point. Right, yeah, but, but uh, from what I understand, and I'll, I'll put a link to the study, but they did the vitamin C, they did the collagen, they did like the jump roping for X amount of time, 
and they tested, uh, they like, I think they went through a biopsy or some kind of further test and they analyzed tenocytes, you know, cartilage containing cells, chronocytes, et cetera. And like, oh, we actually got a stimulation with the collagen supplementation and the vitamin C with the exercise. That's actually what stimulated right. all this new growth. Well, Which is what we want, right? That's so. exactly what we want. So if we think about, you know, as you said, age 25, internal production starts decreasing. So we need things to support that production. Um, the other thing that we need is uh, protection of the cell too. So we, you know, a lot of people don't realize that a high quality collagen means that you don't have to take as much. You don't have to take these super high doses because you're stimulating that native cell to do a better job and you're protecting it because what the higher quality material does is provides a, you know, sort of an anti-inflammatory effect too. So in cell studies, we see that not only does, um, you know, collagen production increase or cellular processes increase, but we see a decrease in inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-1 beta, tumor, necro tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin-6. Uh, so those are key inflammatory cytokines that- With collagen. That, yes. So, and that's why we talk about the higher quality stuff is, is not only being a building block. So a lot of times we think of, I'm supplementing with a connective tissue material. It becomes a building block inside the body. And we're just sort of plugging in the Legos into this Lego set, right? Right. Not, not exactly how it works. So the higher quality stuff is in peptide form. Does it play a role as a building block? Absolutely but it also decreases any excess cytokine production locally as well. So, and that's, that's what allows that tenocyte to thrive. And we see all sorts of good things come out of that. So if we examine a healthy tenocyte and we examine uh, the, the type of tissue it lays down, let's, let's say we're looking at a tendon. Um, so a unhealthy tenocyte is going to produce collagen fibers that are scrambled and jumbled and, not aligned and, and under a microscope, we won't even be able to tell that it's really tendon-like tissue, right? But if we examine a healthy tenocyte, healthy fibroblast, and we see what's you know being laid down from that type of cell, it is highly organized, you know, tightly woven. Um, you know, there's no gaps or spaces or room for fatty deposition in that tendon. It's going to be super strong and have the ability to resist tension. Um, and provide some resilience, like in elasticity, like we want in that new tissue. So that's super important. So you don't have to take as much of, you know, the good type of collagen that we're talking about, the high quality, you know, pharmaceutical grade, if you will, the stuff that's actually been researched in the studies. Right. So just to recap, just a little bit. So patients that are going out to the supermarket, they're looking for collagen. They should look for a collagen, probably a peptide. Yes, right. Absolutely. But also they're going to look for some cofactors that are involved. So we mentioned vitamin C, what are some other cofactors they should look for? Yep, so we want magnesium, you know, so if we back all the way up, you know, so we look at uh, how is protein in general synthesized in the body, you know, and we get, um, you know, protein is synthesized, you know, basically at the DNA level, and we don't get the transcription and uh, translation or any of those factors, uh, any of that, any of that process that we go from DNA to RNA to protein, it does not happen unless we have uh, adequate amounts of magnesium. So it will, it will not occur. So collagen, of course, is a protein. The same principle applies to all types of protein in the body. If you're deficient in magnesium, you could supplement, supplement, supplement with protein. You will not get maximal stimulation at the cellular level 
unless you have optimal amounts of magnesium. So magnesium first, if we think about, you know, order of progression, order of synthesis, uh, vitamin C second. And then we think of, you know, assembling and aligning those fibers in the tissue, we need mucopolysaccharides. So we think about what type two is surrounded by, and even type one, we don't talk about that as much, but type one needs some spacing and some alignment and hydration to reduce friction of, of tissue sliding over top of each other. We have hyaluronic acid that surrounds tendon and ligament tissue. We have uh, glucosamine and chondroitin uh, polymers that surround that tissue. So the goal, once again, of glycosaminoglycans is to reduce friction, increase hydration, allow those connective tissues to absorb water, and that's how they function best. So those are absolutely essential. Absolutely need those. Right. And um, if you're bone on bone, is it too late to start taking collagen? What do you think? So, you know, I, I think we need to clarify what the expectations are going to be for patients when we get to a bone on bone type scenario. So if a patient comes into me and they say, you know, hey, I went to orthopedic, I got a, uh, an initial you know, recommendation for surgery because I have bone on bone, I've been limping around, I can't really do much, I can't even go for walks anymore. You know, give me a miraculous supplement to fix this for me. Now, is the best type two collagen on the market going to, you know, completely regenerate collagen in that joint? Well, probably not completely, but is it going to maintain the collagen that you have and maybe help those cells that are still active and healthy function at an optimal level? Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I would say is that studies have shown that there have been pain reduction, even if the, the joint um, cartilage is not fully regenerated. So what I mean by that is when we talk about that mild anti-inflammatory uh, activity that goes on with a high quality collagen, mm -hmm. that's still going to play a role. And some patients get better lubrication um, they do see a decrease in inflammatory cytokines, so they get some pain reduction, uh, better mobility, and some people, you know, depending on how much cartilage is still left, may see some regeneration and increase in joint space over a period of six to 12 months. So that's the key. So the expectation, if you're going to lay it out for a patient, is number one, it depends on how much cartilage is left. Um, it also depends on how long you're going to take it and how consistently and then, um, you know, how much you're going to follow through on other, you know, lifestyle factors as well. So are you going to also exercise? Are you going to eat an anti-inflammatory diet? Um, and then is this going to 100%, you know, uh, function in a way where it's going to allow you to never have a joint replacement? I would not go as far to make that claim, but can it push that procedure off for a year, two years, five years, maybe 10 years? In some patients, that may be the case. It's just one of those things where you lay out the realistic expectation, um, you explain what you've seen in your patients, and then you let them make an informed decision from that point. So I'm always cautious to kind of under-promise and over-deliver rather than be the guy who's like, oh, buy this product, you don't have to ever get a joint replacement. Um, you know, anytime you go that route, it's a little suspect, and I would say, show me the evidence that that's the right, case. Right, right. You know, so, but there is, there is good research to show that, uh, you know, high quality type two um, collagen products can increase joint space in people with, you know, longstanding osteoarthritis. Right, right. So, 
you know, that it can definitely help. It can help with joint lubrication, hydration, pain reduction, increased mobility. So is it worth a shot? It's absolutely worth a shot for sure. Yeah, I think it comes back to the point is, you know, prevention right. is key, right? Before you get to bone on bone, if you're worried about that, if you've been an athlete, you have injuries, we know what happens to injuries as we get older, they start to degrade. As they start to degrade, we start to get less cartilage. As we get less cartilage, we get more pain. So maybe start supplementing now. If you have some extra pounds you need to lose, do it when you're younger rather than wait, right? It's like mowing your yard. When you mow the yard every week, you don't have to work as hard. But when you let it, when you put it off and you have to go mow the yard when it's been three months, your mower's gonna get stuck, you're gonna be huffing and puffing, you're not gonna be having fun. It's just, you know, mess with everything, right? Yep. So, yep. So, let, so let's talk about collagen as a meal replacement because I think this is a misconception that a lot of people don't know. And they don't right. know that collagen is really not a complete amino acid. It's really three amino acids, glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, right? Yep. And but are people going to know that just from looking at the label? Not all the time. There may be products that lay out an amino acid profile, and you know. So, is it a protein? Yes. But this gets into the protein quality conversation. And so, um, you know, should it be a, you know, like you said, meal replacement type protein supplement in your diet? And I would argue no. And so the reason why is that you know, the degradation of some of those amino acids that you mentioned, um, you know, the proline, hydroxyproline, um, why am I drawing glycine, glycine um, will actually result in increased byproduct. And one of those byproducts is, um, uh, help me out with the- Oxalic uh, acid, oxalacetate? Uh, yes. So yeah, so, and that will actually increase the risk of a uh, certain type of kidney stone as well. So we want to be careful of that. So that's one thing that we want to be careful of. But I think the misconception is people say, okay, I'm getting a uh, you know, 20 gram dose. I'm getting a 40 gram dose. I can take this as a protein supplement and it's going to help me you know, keep my gains. You know? And if we think about what muscle tissue is made out of and what it requires in order to right. increase muscle protein synthesis, it requires activation of the mTOR um, you know, enzyme. The growth pathway. Yes. Yep. yep. So that, that will maximize protein synthesis in the muscle. Uh, collagen is probably not going to stimulate that to the same degree that whey protein is. Well, there's or, no leucine, right? There's no branching amino acids like leucine. Right. So those are the isoleucine, main, valine, right? Those are the three. Yes. Yep. So those, those are the, the key things that we need. And we need leucine in, you know, two, three, maybe even up to five grams in some people to really maximally stimulate, especially post-exercise, uh, to get that mTOR pathway stimulation and get all the, the benefits that we want from supplementing with a protein or you know, using it as a meal replacement. So, uh, but back to the, kind of the safety aspect of it too. So the oxalate uh, kidney stone. So oxalate as a byproduct is produced from the digestion and the metabolism of those amino acids and it has a high affinity to calcium. And so people that are at risk for the most common type of kidney stone, the calcium oxalate kidney stone, uh, this can increase that risk. So does it cause it outright? It doesn't cause it outright, but it increases the risk because it increases oxalate production mm -hmm. in the body, oxalate production in the bloodstream. So as our blood is filtered, of course it goes through the kidneys. Uh, if we're already prone to kidney stones, there's an increase in risk. So from a safety profile, if you have a patient that 
has a history of kidney stones, and it's that type of kidney stone, the Calox kidney stone, you know, they should not be supplementing with 10, 20, 30, 40 grams of collagen per day. There's no reason for that. And we see in clinical studies that, you know, we can go as, as little as five to seven grams of collagen, and we get the clinical benefit that we're looking for, right? We get better outcomes in those tendon injuries. So why put a patient at risk unnecessarily just because it's a trendy thing to do and, you know, it's a buy one, get one, get one free or whatever it may be. Uh, we really don't even need to go down that road. So right. More is not always better, right? Exactly. So the type and the amount, right? So the dose, just, the dose is the poison. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And even though collagen is, for the most part, benign as a protein, it's, it's very stable. There's very few people, if any, that are allergic to it or anything like that. So it's, it's great from that type of supplementation factor, but you're exactly right. Um, more is not always better. And that's, right. that's a great message. Yeah. And I don't want to freak anybody out. Like, I don't, we're not going to say you're going to take collagen. If you're taking it, don't be alarmed if you're going to get a kidney stone. It's very rare. Right. 5% maybe. I haven't, that's what I think anyways right. from the studies. But I, I wouldn't even say, so once again, it's people that are at high risk. At high risk. Regardless. Yep. So these are people that have maybe a genetic predisposition. They just normally, their normal metabolic process, the way they metabolize protein, it already produces more naturally. Uh, that's just an unfortunate circumstance, but you know, if that is the type of patient that maybe should avoid it or, you know, definitely look for a, a lower dose or amount, that's just what it should be. But, you know, clinicians should be aware of that for sure. Right. Yep. It's, it's hydroxyproline that gets converted to oxaloacetate. I've seen those Cal-Ox or, ox, or oxalic acid, right? So that's correct. So I, yeah. and people, you can, I mean, I, I always look at labels when I'm, you know, at the store and I, and I see the amino acids listed and if you're looking at a collagen product, you're going to see those three amino acids be the highest amount or you should, right? Yes. Otherwise, you maybe aren't taking the collagen. So, <laughs> but yeah, so really, you know, look at the collagen you're taking. If you're taking a true collagen, take it for hair, skin, nails, take it for joint support. Don't take it as a meal replacement. Correct. And if you're trying, if you're getting older, you know, we're at risk for sarcopenia, yep. muscle loss, yep. muscle wasting. And so in that scenario, you would take not a collagen, you'd be taking more of a true meal replacement with all 20 amino acids yep. to stimulate muscle growth on top of your physical activity. So I think it's where a lot of people get confused on the types yeah. of collagen, on the size of collagen, yep. on when to take collagen. And um, why, why do people like collagen so much for keto? Why is that such a, such a craze? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, it is obviously an animal product. And so if you think about a keto type diet, you're increasing the amounts of, uh, you know, animal fats and, you know, animal proteins. And so it fits along with that. Um, but it's also one of those things where it's going to maintain ketosis for people as well. It's not, it doesn't contain a lot of carbohydrates. Um, so it's going to be something that fits into that, you know, macro type scenario as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is a very, uh, you know, popular supplement, if you will, for that group, for sure. Right. Yep. It's just popular in general. Like it's, it's a $3 billion market as an industry. And from some of the projections I've read, it's going to double its size in a couple yep. of years. It's, it's growing. And so, I mean, not every segment of the supplement industry is growing, but this is one of those bright spots where when you think about, you know, if you, I would, I would say probably 60 to 70% of your patients, if you just ask them, have you ever tried or considered trying a collagen supplement? Guaranteed, 70% of them would say, yes, I, I've either tried it or considered it. 
and they were one click away from ordering that product on Amazon. So right. they want to try it, but they're just, they're unsure. They don't really know. So an expert opinion from a well-informed clinician will go a long way and uh, really help them, you know, not only decide on a good product, but help them get the most out of that product as well. Right. Yep. Because there's a lot of, I mean, there's collagen products everywhere. And so what are the, some of the most common sources? I mean, bovine, of, of course, but I've seen yep. fish. Yes. Collagen. Have you seen some other ones besides those two? Uh, you know, definitely pig. Uh, pig collagen. Yes, okay. Absolutely. Um, you know, so you said fish. So everything from like shark cartilage to uh, chicken even, cartilage. Yes. The scales of fish as yep, well. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, they're looking for pretty much every source they can to digest that down and sell it as a collagen supplement. I would say, so even from an allergy standpoint, a potential allergy standpoint, probably avoid some of the fish, you know, collagens. Uh, I know there's some companies that will even offer like an eggshell membrane type, you know, collagen. But once again, I mean, just from an allergy standpoint, that's just one of the ones that are high up on the list. Once again, most collagen protein is pretty benign, but to avoid those issues, it's just one of those things to consider. Maybe select a product that doesn't have fish or egg in it, and you'll avoid some of the product returns or potential issues that some people could run into with that. Right. Sure. Yep. Right. Um, let's talk about the differences and some of the similarities in glucosamine, chondroitin, in collagen, because I get that a lot. Well, if I'm taking the collagen, I don't need, need to take the glucosamine yes. and chondroitin. Um, so I have a lot of joint issues. So I take both, and okay. I kind of the way I explain it is, you know, the collagen is like the offense; it's going to give me the ability to rebuild, and the glucosamine and chondroitin are the defense. And it's like, yeah. what wins championships? Well, if you're not a Cowboys fan, you probably know it's defense, right? Because <laughs> we have no defense, or we 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 haven't in years past. But so I always say, glucosamine is going to be your defense. It's going to help you defend. It's going to help strengthen your synovial fluid withstand some of the forces. So I, I do both, but if you had to choose one or the other, or yeah, just go ahead and explain it for some people. So yeah, I mean, glucosamine, chondroitin, as you said, you know, those are glycosaminoglycans. So, you know, I like the offense defense analogy. Um, I always go back to kind of that word picture that that piece of cement, right? With those metal rods sticking through it, those, uh, you know, metal rebar rods. So when we talk about the cement, that's where those, that, that glucosamine and chondroitin comes in. So that gives your joint the ability, that cartilage ability to compress and decompress, the ability to absorb water, the ability of that joint, those uh, synovial cells to produce hyaluronic acid, um, which once again, lubricates that cartilage surface, reduces friction. It's one of the most um, frictionless uh, substances known to man, which is pretty incredible. And our body just makes that naturally. But you know, you're exactly right. So if we think about what do you want to choose and what type of scenario? So, you know, if we get into patient typing, if you will, um, when would I give a patient a glucosamine and chondroitin product versus a collagen product? So if I was to look at osteoarthritis and I look at osteoarthritis of the knees and the hips and somebody that maybe has a moderate severe form um, and they need a something a little bit stronger from a pain reduction standpoint, and something to really, really put the brakes on that, you know, uh, degeneration process, I would go with the glucosamine chondroitin product. And the reason why is, you know, partly because of the carryover effect and the long-term benefit um, and just what it does from, you know, halting that uh, degeneration within those, those major weight-bearing joints. So, um, you know, once again, it's all about quality 
there are some bad glucosamine chondroitin products on the market. And I actually recently read a study where if you get a, a product with a wrong size chondroitin, it's actually pro-inflammatory. So I read that study too. The yep. molecule is too big. It's pro-inflammatory. The body reacts by actually damaging the cartilage further. So you get more pain and the patient kind of looks up at you like, what did you just give me? And, uh, you know, chances are it, it's one of those cheaper products. That was chondroitin sulfate, right? It was chondroitin sulfate. Yep. Yes. Um, and it's unfortunately, you know, when it comes to chondroitin, it's one of the most adulterated uh, ingredients in the supplement market. So if you're going to select a glucosamine chondroitin product, you have to go high quality. And in general, the cost of the product will follow the higher quality of the product. Not all the time, but in general. And so that's why it's important to consult a qualified clinician because they can point you in the right direction and they can weed out all the garbage that's out there because there is, there's too much garbage out there. And that's right. where you get confused. You get confused. Right. And that's, that's partly where you get some of the bad reputation with supplements and poor outcomes and adverse, you know, reactions and all those things. And uh, really the worst supplement is something that's dangerous or does you absolutely no good. You're literally throwing your money down the drain. Right. So that's, that's terrible. So it ruins your reputation as a clinician and the supplement reputation as a whole. And it's just not even worth going down that route. Right. Yep. So some of the best sourcings for chondroitin sulfate is, um, from my understanding, Spain, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So if you look at where most of the, the high quality, so, you know, there's different pharmaceutical standards across the world. So, you know, in the U.S., chondroitin is considered a dietary supplement, right? Uh, in Europe, high quality chondroitin is actually considered a pharmaceutical drug. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. So nice. it's, it's a... Um, a slow acting uh, osteoarthritis uh, drug, essentially. So, yep, and same thing wow. with high quality glucosamine. So you actually need a prescription from a licensed physician to get that recommended in Spain. Um, so we actually, you know, there, we have that available in supplement form in the US, but uh, once again, I would go the route of contacting a uh, licensed healthcare professional to help them guide you towards where that ingredient is as far as that product. So, so where's from, how it's manufactured, because you talked about like the symmetry, the size differentials yep. for chondroitins. I know some that are used in acid hydrolysis. Yep. And I use the analogy of that's like taking a rock and a chisel, chiseling away, you're gonna get one side this big, one side this jagged, one side this, this size. When you ingest that, it's, it's not getting absorbed. Some of it is actually damaging, but when you use an enzymatic process, Everything's nice and uniform, like a nice pearl necklace. Everything gets absorbed, goes into the cell. It's anti-inflammatory how it's supposed to be, yes. right? Because it's weird that if you get some of the acid hydrolysis, um, you know, some of that process, that it's causing inflammation. Yep, yep. So the same, so, thing is, uh, same thing is true for, you know, hyaluronic acid. If you get a poor quality hyaluronic acid, uh, number one, it's not going to be absorbed. Uh, it's not going to have the same effect on target tissue or target cell. Um, and you're, you're, you know, you're going to actually cause more harm than you will good. And so, yeah, but, you know, that specific uh, molecular size is all the difference. And uh, like you said, I, I like how you laid that out. You know, it's kind of like that fine pearl necklace instead of that jagged piece of rock. And when, they, when the companies put that through, that enzymatic uh, process, it cuts those proteins at predictable spots. And we get nice predictable sizes in those molecules. And it's a very uniform 
you know, production of those, those size molecules. We take a rock and hammer, we put the blindfold on, we're just right. swinging. Right. Who knows what's going to happen, but we can slap a label on that thing and send it out to market and right. good luck. Hope but, it helps somebody. Exactly. So that's why we go with brands that we trust. Right. Brands that are reputable. A lot of, a lot of the companies I, I look for are physician brands because they're putting their reputation behind it yep. and they're going through a lot more quality standards with yep. collagen in them. And so let's talk a little bit. I think women are going to like this. Let's talk about hyaluronic acid. Yes. Just a little bit because women love the hydration benefits. They love it for fine lines or wrinkles. A lot of women just take it topically. They take it as a cream yep. or something like that. But doesn't it doesn't make sense to supplement the cells orally because some of that beauty inside yeah. it out. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So hyaluronic acid, um, you know, it's also used in orthopedic procedures as a an injection as well. Uh, but you know, the the type that's injected and the type that is uh, you know used as a dietary supplement are maybe slightly different, but when you look at the highest quality oral type, it's very similar to the injectable type. And once again, it's gotta be within a specific molecular weight, molecular size. Um, and what we find in the clinical studies and the cell studies is that the specific you know, clinical benefit of hyaluronic acid is that it stimulates that synovial cell to then produce more hyaluronic acid. So there's a really cool study that kind of Number one, confirmed that oral hyaluronic acid is indeed absorbed. And number two, confirms that what they found in the cell study is true. And it was actually done in um, racehorses that had osteochondrosis. So degeneration of the knee joint. And all they did was orally supplement. Uh, they gave hyaluronic acid to these horses that had you know, a lot of knee pain. Maybe the racing days were almost over or they were done for. So you know what happens to horses that can't race anymore, right. actually. Right. Um, they usually don't live a long, healthy life. They're usually out of the stable and made in the college. And just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. we'll have to contact the source on that one. But um, we'll go with the bovine source for these. But what they did was they supplemented. They gave these horses. Uh, you know, I believe it was. Uh, I forget the exact amount. I have to go back and look at the study. We can link to the study. But anyways, what they found was that the horses that were given the hyaluronic acid. Uh, they, they, they took a, a sample of the synovial fluid. They literally took a syringe, stuck it in the, the knee joint of that horse, withdrew some synovial fluid, and they measured the hyaluronic acid density of the synovial fluid before treatment. I believe it was uh, 30 days after, uh, 60 days from there, and then 90 days into treatment. They measured the concentration, took a sample, you know, the four horses, it had to be somewhat painful, but they measured the concentration. What they found was over the course of supplementation, the horses that received the treatment increased hyaluronic acid uh, uh, concentration. And so part of that is the hyaluronic acid being absorbed. Part of it is the synovial cells in the joint uh, actually being stimulated by that uh, consumed hyaluronic acid as well. So, you know, you got, you got a faster horse and one that maybe is ready to get back on the horse, the, uh, the racetrack as well. So I, but really cool study. And, you know, anytime you can take something that shows promise in a cell and then you test it out in a living animal and an in vivo study, it's just really cool to see that, uh, that mechanism confirmed. And then of course it hasn't been repeated probably due to ethical reasons in humans. But what we have seen is that, um, you know, knee pain and inflammatory factors have decreased in humans that have supplemented with that type of hyaluronic acid. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And another study, you know the study, is they compared it to acetaminophen. 
for pain in knee synovitis. So they compared hyaluronic acid to acetaminophen. They found it worked better for pain reductions than an anti-inflammatory. We also know that anti-inflammatory is actually shut off one of the chondroitin sulfate pathways. So if you're taking those long-term or longer than you're supposed to, you're actually not gonna produce your own endogenous chondroitin sulfate, which is another problem in and yeah. in of itself. So that's, that's actually a great point. So a lot of times we think about pain relievers and you know, maybe we're like, oh yeah, some people get gastric ulcers. Maybe if someone overdoes it with the acetaminophen, they run into some liver problems and we see the you know, liver enzymes elevated a little bit. But what people don't realize is that you know, acetaminophen is one of the most common causes of liver failure. So we can't just keep popping painkillers like candy that accumulative effect does play a role in you know, having some adverse events that can be pretty severe. So we wanna look for some alternatives. We don't look for some you know, alternative things that we can take long-term safely and avoid that scenario, avoid the scenario of you know, elevated liver enzymes or you know, potential liver failure or, you know, um, but a lot of people don't, they don't realize that it shuts down that mechanism, like you said, of glycosaminoglycan production within the body. So talk about something that speeds up that process of degeneration and more friction and more force in that joint. Taking those things long-term, it's gonna have unintended consequences. And it's not just the major severe things that we're all familiar with, or maybe are not familiar with that we should be informed about. So, right, so yeah. getting down to that root cause, what's actually causing the pain? Is it loss yeah. of joint space? Is it loss of particular cartilage? Maybe we should you know, quit taking the NSAID, find out what's going on, go to a practitioner yeah. and see. So. Absolutely. So we went through a lot in collagen today. We went through the types. I think it's general consensus, type one and type two are some of the types you should look for. Absolutely. And if you can't find it on, the, on the product that you're looking at, you know, ask the manufacturer. Yeah. Reach out to somebody in that company, see if you can find out. Then the size. Size matters. If you have a big size collagen, it's not gonna get absorbed. Yeah. And again, you're not gonna be able to usually find this out from a lot of retail products unless you ask them. Right. Unless you know somebody in the industry, so you got to do some research. And then the cofactors. I mean, you should look for vitamin C, magnesium, possibly in a product. And if they're not in the product, you could probably take them separately as well, right? Yeah, you absolutely could. But wouldn't it be nice if there was a product that had all these things combined into one? Um, right. It would be great. You know, type 1, type 2, hyaluronic acid, vitamin C, magnesium, and mucopolysaccharides. That would be, yeah. that'd be amazing. Yeah, and we, we, do, we do know one that does have this in there, so we're slightly joking, but yeah. we don't want to promote products on this page necessarily. Right. So if right. you guys have any questions on the products that we like that have some of these materials we mentioned, let us know. Yep. But um, So I'm going to go in a little bit different. And so I didn't get to ask you in the first episode. So if you're on a desert island, oh boy. and you could pick one supplement to take, what would, you, what would you bring with you? Desert island, one supplement. Let's see. That is a, uh, that's a really hard question because, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to be out there. <laughs> One supplement, you know, honestly, it's probably going to be some type of protein. Um, but you're going to be able to fish probably. You're going to okay. eat coconuts, some MCTs, mm. you know, wild game. It, I'm probably just going to go with like a basic multivitamin then just to fill some yeah. of those. Some uh, nutritional gaps. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, like you said, maybe I'll, I'll catch some fish, maybe I won't, but I'm gonna be deficient in something at some point and probably plants and things like that are gonna be somewhat seasonal. 
uh, you know, I'm not going to have many plants in the, on the desert island, so I'm definitely going to need some nutrients that come. Maybe there's plant. some. Maybe there's some plantation there <laughs> that we find. So, <laughs> but I'll, I'll stick with my multivitamin. You know, I, I like the. You know, I'll get my fish oil from the fish, so yep. I'll be good with that. I can eat some of the skin, so I'll get some some natural collagen. Um, but yeah, so I, I'll stick with the multivitamin. I think it's one of the most overlooked, like basic supplements that people are they kind of like disregard or they're like. I gotta go for the fancy this or other, and we overlook basic foundational nutrition. And I think that filling those gaps and you know uh, maximizing our, our body's stores of those nutrients really help things function optimally. Um, and I think that would allow me to you know build fires better and uh, yeah. you know oh, yeah. maybe uh, you know find my my Wilson volleyball floating around in the ocean <laughs> and some companionship along the way. But uh, yeah, so I'll stick with my multivitamin. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm torn. I would, you? I, I would go with the multivitamin, um, but also magnesium. Unless, okay. unless we have a bunch of like uh, almonds out there, something, something else that's rich in magnesium. But um, I'm taking magnesium every single morning, along with my collagen, along with some other things, and I, I really notice a difference. So Nice. So, okay. You could have a billboard. You could have two sentences on this billboard related to health and for ways to help people optimize their health. What would it be? It could be a simple as you want it to be or as long as you want it to be? Man, okay. Well, I'm gonna keep it simple because one of my core principles is the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. So I have to remind myself of that because sometimes I'm slow. Um, but the first statement would be go to sleep. Sleep? Which, yep, sleep. So, you know, it'd be, uh, that's one thing I'm telling my kids all the time. It's bedtime, go to bed. I should listen to myself more often too and maybe shut off the Netflix, put down my phone. So if we think about, once again, things that are essential to the healing process, when healing actually occurs, it's when we sleep. We can all use a little bit more sleep. And as parents, you know, this is no always, yeah. Um, you know, I think the other thing, uh, you know, is gonna be related to, since we've kind of hammered home the nutrition, I'm gonna focus on move more. So move more, go to sleep, move more. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they hear that statement, they're like, you know what, this guy's probably talking about a super high intense program that you should go out and start. And, you know, it's really interesting if all you did was walk 10 minutes after every single meal, you'd be blown away at how your health would improve. So, and I would challenge people, if, if you hate exercise, if you uh, don't want to go get a gym membership, don't do those things. Just go for a 10 minute walk, uh, get a treadmill and do, you know, if you're working from home, walk, 10 minutes right after breakfast, right after lunch, right after dinner. So every time you eat, you know, stack that habit with going for a walk. And uh, you'll be surprised at how well you'll start to maintain your weight, um, how well your, you know, blood sugar is going to be regulated, um, how much better you're going to feel, how much less coffee you're going to have to drink, how much more energy you're going to feel, mental clarity, uh, mood is going to be enhanced, all from doing your 10-minute walk three times a day. Right. And it, that's like the, you know, least intense thing that we can do. And a lot of times people disregard walking as exercise. And I know I was probably one of those people at one point, but the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what, maybe walking is exercise. Right. And I should be doing a little bit more of it. So everybody can walk, uh, you know, within reason we can, we can do that. Uh, 30 minutes is not, you know, overly amount of time that's going to take up most of our day and breaking it into those 10 minute blocks is going to be something that I think we all can squeeze into our schedule. 
So I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm gonna start walking more now that you just said that. <laughs> we'll now, but I used to make it to my parents like for walk is like, come on, that's not real exercise. That's just physical activity. Right. And as we get older, like, hey, sometimes less is more. So yeah. Yep. Okay. There's that principle again. There's that principle again. Great. <laughs> right. So okay. We didn't get to ask you this the first episode. What is your morning routine? Morning routine. Or did we ask you that? I don't think um, we did. I don't know if we did or not, but uh, you know, my morning routine is I always start out with a uh, cup of coffee first thing out of bed. Maybe that's not a health hack, but for me, I need my coffee. It's kind of it's it's just what I'm used to. I will admit, if I don't get my cup of coffee right when I normally get it, I will get a headache here and there. Um, so I'm trying to limit the amount of total coffee I drink throughout the day. But, but you I, wake up really early, right? I, I you coach some, got, some days in the morning, yes. right? So, so I got out of the, the coaching habit recently due to the, you know, COVID-19 oh, gotcha. things, but we're going to get, be getting back into that. I, I get up, you know, I'd say on average, I was getting up at 5 AM. Um, so I get my cup of coffee. I kind of have my quiet time, you know, for some people that's meditation for some people that's doing some reading, but I find that um, early in the morning when my wife is asleep, my kids are asleep, I get time to think and I get time to kind of, um, you know, fill my mind with things that are going to set up my day, uh, you know, in, in a way that's going to be very beneficial. So I find that that quiet time improves my mood. Maybe I'm offering more credit to that reading or meditation than I am to the coffee, but coffee, no doubt, puts me in a really good mood. Um, and then from there, I'll get into maybe some, um, you know, or maybe more mentally focused work, you know, so maybe half an hour to an hour if I, you know, set up that day, if I'm not coaching on that day. But I'll, I'll say on average, maybe that's about a 30 minute window where I'm going to read a piece of research, do some very detailed writing um, or learning. And that's kind of where, you know, number one, I feel like I've accomplished something for the day. Um, I feel like I'm mentally stimulated. And I've learned something new and learning something new for me excites me and it makes me want to continue learning and growing. So, you know, once again, it sets up my day in a fashion where I'm motivated, I'm in a good mood. Um, and if I have a perfect morning from there it would be exercise. Um, doesn't always work out that way, but I like to reserve that, that first, you know, maybe 45 minutes of my morning with a cup of coffee quiet time and then something that's mentally stimulating from there. That's awesome. And are you a faster? Do you fast in the morning or? I, I do like to hold off on eating. Um, you know, I do add cream to my coffee. So some people would say that's technically not fasting. It's probably technically not, but I, I try to wait until about eight o'clock in the morning before I eat my breakfast. So, you know, I, I probably, if I continue on my path of, uh, if I were to eat first thing when I wake up and then you know, right until I, I go to sleep, I would be eating all day. And so I do like to shorten that window. And trust me, I could eat all day. <laughs> I grew up in a family of, uh, you know, there are five boys in our family, all very close in age, all played sports. And our habit was after a football game or a baseball game, we'd go to Old Country Buffet and we would be there for two hours trying to out eat each other. So it was competition time <laughs> all the time. And we could do that when we were younger. We wouldn't gain a pound. All right. Maybe we would, but we would burn it off the next day and uh, those days are long behind me I'm, I'm no longer competing uh, on, on, on the athletic field um, but I'm also not in my competitive eating days right. either and I, I, I need to limit my eating window and then also you know how much I eat per meal right. I could easily you know go to McDonald's and throw down double cheeseburgers um, that's why I work out right yes. so I can so I can eat 
So did your family put the um, put that restaurant out of business? <laughs> I think we did. I think we did. They had so. a sign like on the door, like Bodner's, like can only come between these hours. We got at least some food for everyone else. So we had to, we had to change our last name. We come in separately. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, yeah, I'm sure they knew us. You know, they were like, oh man, here comes that family again. Um, so yeah, we probably we probably closed them down. That's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this again with me. Yeah. Talking about college and going to some going over some of the misconceptions with college. And I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people Absolutely. because college is such a growing and you know, it's a hot industry. Everyone's looking to get more college, right? College and cookies, college and this college and that. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, please tell the listeners where they can find you online, your, your social media and everything. Yeah. So I'm probably most active on uh, Instagram and Facebook. So if you guys go on Instagram, you look for at the nutrient fix, uh, just, you know, type that in or type in my name, Frank Bodner. That will pop up. Um, I am not as consistent as I want to be as far as putting out content, but I do have a schedule that I try to stick to. Things have been crazy with e-learning schedules and school winding down, and uh, we're actually looking to uh, move in the near future. So we're, you know, getting some loose ends wrapped up with that too. But I will be back on my consistent schedule. So connect with me there, and I'm most active on Instagram, like I said. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, discussing more nutritional topics in the future. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks again for, uh, for coming on, listening to Dr. Frank Bodner talk about collagen. Find him also on his website. He's got a lot of good meal plans as well um, at the nutrientsfix.com. Yes, correct. And if you guys, yep, nutrientsfix.com. So again, if you guys like this content or have any questions for us that you'd like us to cover in the next episode, let us know. Subscribe to this on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast channel on, on um, Apple iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts at. And we will see you guys next time. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, guys.